Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. I believe, as I told you a couple weeks ago, that this is our year as a church to proactivate dreams of generations. And I'm really excited as I get to share this with you guys because I feel like we're seeing this happen before our eyes. We were reflecting a couple weeks ago on our Vision Sunday that we're in this season as a church of this kind of extended season of generational transition, generational transfer. And the Lord's brought us this far, and we give thanks for that. And, and as one chapter is coming to a close, a new chapter is opening. And it was so perfect last week to celebrate Denise Horn and 30 plus years of her work and service in the church, just as a, not only as a staff member, but just a mother in the church. And uh, it was fun, a lot of jokes, a lot of celebration, but it's also something coming to an end, which is, you know, a sense of loss, and, and there's a grief attached to that as well. So it's important to acknowledge that. And as we celebrate the ones that are passing things on, their achievements, we also have to recognize that as a new chapter's beginning, it's also a season of possibility, of creativity that has to be grasped by faith. And so I believe even as we celebrate, we have to grab onto this moment of proactively activating the dreams that were given to that founding generation in a new season, a new generation. One of the things that Pastor Grubby said last week in his message was, make sure the dreams that you're dreaming are the dreams of God. Because if they're not, God is faithful and he'll dream you into his dreams, but it's going to take a little bit of adjustment in your life. And so to our series on dreams of generations, I want to ask this question, what does it look like to dream with God? So we're going to read from Genesis 25, verses 19 to 26. So you can turn there or you can follow along on the screen with me. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 19. And it says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, 
all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. It's a play on words, Esau being close to the word in Hebrew, meaning red. And afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Also a play on words, because it's close to the Hebrew word, meaning the one who grasps, or also, as you find out later in the story, one who deceives. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. This is God's word. Okay, so if you've ever read the book of Genesis before, you recognize this familiar refrain that our passage begins with, which is, these are the generations of. This is a, it's a Hebrew word, Toledot, which is actually my favorite city in the town of Spain, in the country of Spain. There's a place called Toledo, and it can also mean the accounts or the chronicles, and it was a place where they chronicled history. And anyway, that means nothing to you, but I had to mention one of my favorite places. Uh, <laughs> but, okay, so you have this, this there's many Toledots through this book of Genesis. These are the generations of so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And when you read that phrase... What do you expect to hear next? You expect to hear about so-and-so's children, right? But almost always, Hebrew scholars point out, when you, almost always when you get that phrase, you don't immediately get that. You get something surprising in most cases. So the first place you see it, I'll just point out a couple. The first place you see a Toledot is in Genesis 2.4. And it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So it's picturing the heavens and the earth as parents, which is interesting. And it says the next, the next thing it says that the heavens and the earth had not brought forth vegetation because the Lord had not yet caused it to rain. So the Lord sends a mist and it begins to water the earth and vegetation comes out and it forms clay out of which God forms the first human named Adam. So interesting. All right. Another Toledot in Genesis 6, 9 is when it talks about Noah. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So you hear the generations of Noah, and then it goes on to tell us not about his kids, but about himless in his generation. And so uh, rabbis point out that in a sense, this text is giving this picture of Noah somehow generating himself. It says the generations of Noah, and then it goes on to talk about Noah. There's a sense in which spiritually Noah is generating himself. (laughs) And so, interesting. Then, similar to what we read in chapter 2, it goes on to say, the earth had become corrupt and full of evil. So again, the Lord sends rain, but this time to flood the earth and destroy it and start again. So, begin to notice a pattern here. Right? And when you go through Genesis, you see this refrain coming up over and over again. And we come to our passage in chapter 25, we should expect, because of this pattern, to see some things that you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to see. Some surprises, all right? And so we do. 
You might not catch them on a first reading, but it says, these are the generations of Isaac. And then who do we hear about? Not his kids, his dad. So Isaac fathers Abraham. That's kind of the sense it's giving. Now, it's interesting. So Abraham, sorry, Isaac is the one patriarch that we know very little about. <laughs> He's kind of like the one that everyone forgets. All right, you've got Abraham, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you have tons of chapters about Abraham, tons of chapters about Jacob, tons of chapters about Joseph. You have exactly one chapter that's dedicated to Isaac. And that's, I mean, you probably don't even remember what's in that chapter because it's it's one of those you kind of pass through to get to the exciting parts. All right, most of what you know about Isaac happens to him. Oh yeah, Isaac, he's the one that almost became a sacrifice. Oh yeah, Isaac, he's the one that, you know, his son strapped on some goat skin and deceived him and stole, stole the inheritance, right? So I'm introduced. The reason it's emphasizing, okay, these are the generations of Isaac and it begins to talk about Abraham. The sense that we get is that Isaac is standing on the shoulders of his father. Isaac is Abraham's son. And so it gives you this sense that Isaac's story does not begin with himself. It doesn't begin with him. He's standing in, he's building on the legacy of his father. This is the only time of all the different Toledots that are in Genesis, the only time where you you get this, where it, it says, you know, these are the generations of it, and then it talks about the person's father. So this is a deliberate literary technique that the author has used to point something out. And so you also might notice that you get the same pattern that we saw in those two other Toledots that I talked about. You get the generations of, then it talks about barrenness, then it talks about God bringing fruitfulness for a purpose, all right? And so the first point that we get just out of the, the introduction to Isaac is this, that dreaming with God begins with something bigger than ourselves. Dreaming with God always begins with something bigger than ourselves. For as much as we like to talk about what's my calling, what's my destiny, what do I want to do with my life, what job should I go, what, you know, what, where should I live, those are all things that we need to work out. But ultimately, dreaming with God is something far bigger than our individual life. Now, Pastor Grubby touched on this last week, that this this is, it's kind of a hard mindset to get into from our cultural standpoint, because we live in the most individualistic society that the planet Earth has ever seen. I'm, I'm not, like, criticizing it. This time and place out of any human culture. And at the same time, we live in a society that has rejected pretty much every sense of the sacred or values that, that come from outside of us, outside of the physical world. So it's called materialism, meaning like physical materialism, that the only thing that is real is what you can access with your five senses. And so, if that's true, if all that is real is just the physical world, then it follows there can be no truth or values that exist outside of it to give us meaning and purpose. 
I'm summarizing about 300 years of philosophy into one statement. But where does that leave us? Okay, this is well attested. I'm not, this is not even like just a Christian opinion. This is, this is just, read Charles Taylor's A Secular Age if you've got about a year to set aside. But this is a well-documented process of secularization, of materialism within our society. And where does it leave us? Well, the answer that you can find, I mean, every, everywhere from, you don't have to read philosophers, just watch movies, just listen to pop songs. Where it leaves you is this. In a world where there is no pre-existing meaning and purpose, it's up to you as an individual, as a person. It's up to you to write your own story. It's up to you to make your own meaning in life. Create your own meaning. Now the problem, as philosophers have pointed out, and I'll quote Hubert Dreyfus and, and Sean Kelly pointed out, embracing the autonomous individual leads not just to a boring life. The problem is it leads almost inevitably to an almost unlivable life. And the reason is we crave meaning. We crave purpose. We crave depth. We crave actually something bigger than ourselves to which we can give ourselves. It's why people in the absence of these kind of transcendent meanings often gravitate towards politics or what some other purpose to which to give themselves. And I think it makes sense when we realize it's exactly what we were made for. We were made for the dreams and purposes of God. And so that's why every generation has to redream his dreams for themselves. And so the starting point is this, that it begins with something bigger than us. It begins with the recognition that the story did not begin with our birth. We're entering into a story that has been going already for generations. If you, if you had a, a British two-pound coin, it's my favorite coin for some reason because they're like hefty and it feels like real money. You know, the British two-pound coin has an inscription around the outside of it. And it's a quote from Isaac Newton who said, if I have seen further, it is only because I stand on the shoulders of giants. So that's a famous phrase, standing on the shoulders of giants. And so we have to recognize that if in our individual lives and even corporately, if we see our dreams, if we see our stories only in us, then even if we're well-intentioned, what happens is, I think, we begin to build the city of Babel. We begin to build a city, a society, a dream, a tower that is a monument to our own glory, a monument to our own ingenuity. And so that's exactly the narrative of the world that we live in, especially the modern world, the the whole idea of modern people. We're the first, last couple hundred years is the first time anyone thought of themselves as modern. First time that anyone thought of themselves as somehow and, and the whole rise of, of the industrial revolution and all that stuff. But, but the idea of us calling ourselves modern, modern times, if you think about that idea, what it means is we're on the cutting edge. We're different from all the ones that have gone before us. We are uniquely shaping our own destiny through science, through technology, through exploration. Now, 
The Greeks had a story about this. It's called Oedipus Rex. I won't get into the details of the story for those who know the story. But it's about a man who proclaimed himself a self-made person. Self-made. And he forgot who his parents were. And it destined him to self-destruction. It was this, this tale of forgetting what you're rooted in and who you, who you come from. And so once we recognize that we stand on the shoulders of giants, the next point is this, that dreaming with God asks, what will you do with what you've been given? What will you do with it? Because, all right, there's some, another small detail at the beginning of this passage that's easy to miss. The author tells us, Abraham fathered Isaac. And I, I drew a little circle around that as I was reading it because I wondered, how many other times does it say this? And it turns out, actually, there's only one other time that this exact phrasing is used, and it's, it's to talk about Abraham's own father, Terah. It says, Terah fathered Abraham. Sometimes it's, it doesn't come across in the translation, but it's only in chapter eleven twenty six where it, it uses that same exact phrase. Now, so what does it mean? Well, to me, what it reminds me of is the fact that it doesn't take a lot for a man to bring forth or play his role in bringing forth a baby. To be a father is completely different, right? Fathering that child, taking responsibility for what you have helped bring into, you know, bring forth into the earth is a completely different question. Fathering means taking responsibility. It means intentionally shaping the character and passing on a legacy to your children. And so what I think this is pointing us to, what what the author is intentionally pointing us to, is what exactly Isaac had been given. There's something being deposited to him from generations, from Abraham and from his father. So Abraham was super rich. We know that from all the descriptions. He was wealthy. And so Isaac would have received huge wealth, a lot of prestige. And yet it's not just talking about that. It's not talking about a wealth transfer. He's inheriting the promises of God that were given to his father. He's inheriting a way of being. He's inheriting a legacy of character. So it says Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man of righteousness. And so I think all that is contained in how he must have fathered Isaac. Now, it doesn't actually tell us that Isaac fathered Esau or Jacob. It doesn't use that phrase. We're not actually told. It's almost as if the, the, the writer's leaving the question open. Abraham fathered Isaac in this legacy. Will Isaac continue to father for the next generation? What will he do with what he's been given? In other words, we can't take for granted that these promises and this legacy is just going to carry on by the fact of genetics. I think it's reminding us that it doesn't really take anything to receive an inheritance. The question is, what are you going to do with it? 
Are you going to invest it? Are you going to use it in a way that honors and consolidates and carries forward the vision that has been handed down to you from your father's, your parents' generation or not? So Isaac, we said he's, he's this like in-between character and he's the son of the great innovator. It made me think of this when I was growing up for the longest time, whenever my, my parents direct this ministry called Battelle. It's all around the world and like everyone in Battelle knows who they are. And so when I would travel, when I would go to Spain, I was always Kent's son. They didn't know my name. They didn't know who I was. They didn't really know too much about me growing up. It was just, oh, you're, Ian, you're Kent's son. Hijo de Kent. Ah, el hijo de Kent. Son of Kent. And actually, I didn't mind that. I, I kind of like, I was, you know, I, I was proud of that. But <laughs> it makes me feel for Isaac here because in, in a sense, we just really know him as Abraham's son, right? What did Isaac actually achieve? A lot of times... When you see these generational transfers in business and and in the church, that transfer from one generation to the next, the one who's receiving that, there is a ton of of weight on that. And a lot of times it's the children, it's the next leaders that that mess things up spectacularly. (laughs) And what I find interesting in this story is it doesn't tell us that Isaac fathered um, his sons, it seems like Rebecca actually took a much more active role, right? For better or worse, as the story goes on. But Rebecca seems to be the Isaac seems to be pretty passive. But here's the thing, the stakes, whenever there's that generational transfer, the stakes are that if the next generation, the one receiving the baton, the, how do you say it here? Baton? Okay, I always forget. Brits, the Brits say baton, you say baton. <laughs> If the next generation, the one that's receiving it, doesn't consolidate the innovations that were made, doesn't consolidate the work of the previous generation, then actually that dream can disintegrate. The dream can fall apart. And the test of a dream is whether it outlasts the first dreamer. The test of a dream is whether it outlasts that first generation and is able to carry into the next generation. And you see that with a lot of companies, a lot of visionary, it's very hard to pass it on and to see it continue. Can the next generation catch that dream? And I have to say, I mean, just for me personally, I know, I know for many of us, I w- would say the same thing, but for me personally, over the last couple of years, as we've been going through this generational transfer and, and we've made this conscious effort to, to tell the stories of the, the 40 years of, of this church's life, the generations that have been represented in that, to tell the stories, to record them. We've got a whole New Covenant archive that, that several people have been investing a lot of time into. And as I've heard those interviews and heard those stories, I've felt so inspired, so kind of like awed, and, and like this little spark in me that says, yes, I want to carry that on. It's exciting to me. Eventually, those will be made public in some form. But it's just so encouraging to me that last week, Pastor Grubby mentioned what we talked about Vision Sunday. He said, this is the DNA of our church. He's, he told me privately, he's like, you know, there wasn't really that much new in there. 
And I could have taken that offensive. It feels bigger than me. It feels bigger than just now. It feels like we're stepping into things that God's been speaking to us, moving us towards for a very long time. And so just in the last few months, I've been poring over these, these old documents as, as Denise and Tony were vacating their offices. They were clearing out you know, old documents. And every day I'd walk into my office and I'd find a new pile of stuff. And I just started flicking through them. And they were, they were old meeting minutes and like really, in some ways, really humdrum stuff. But I actually took some time to read through them. I could not believe how many things were like, that's happening now. We're doing that now. I mean, literally, just this week, I, I, I pulled out, it was the vision for 2011, okay? And it talked about the arts. It talked about, I mean, there were just so many things that I shared two weeks ago on Vision Sunday that were in the hearts of, of leaders and, and people in this church 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So I'm excited that these things, I, I just believe the Lord is reawakening these things so that we can activate them once again and in new ways. So the dreams that I find myself dreaming, I'm seeing these echoes in years gone, past, gone by. The other thing that it makes me realize is that it's not just about these 40 years of new covenant as a church. It's bigger than new covenant, right? We're here on Moravian ground. You know, outside here in Mukunji, we've got generations of, of saints who are with the Lord now in spirit. There are gravestones memorializing their lives and the generations of prayers that have preceded us. My own great-great-grandparents are out there. I found their tomb recently, which is amazing. That was a total surprise, by the way. Uh, I had no idea about that when we moved here. Okay, so... There's this rich deposit, this rich legacy. The question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with what we've been given? So what did Isaac do with what he'd received? Well, the first thing that the text tells us is that he prayed. He prayed. He says, Rebecca was barren. Isaac prayed for his wife. It's a good idea, husbands, to do that. By the way, But what's interesting to me is that (laughs) Isaac and Rebecca find themselves facing almost exactly the same situation that that his parents had faced. So his parents were even 40 years older than them and barren, hoping for a child, had received these promises, didn't know how they were going to be fulfilled. And yet, one thing that Isaac does that actually, surprisingly, it's never described of Abraham is that he prays. They try all sorts of other things to make it happen. We're never told that Abraham prayed for his wife to get pregnant. It's kind of bizarre. So I imagine Isaac just growing up hearing the story. Isaac, this is how you were born. These are the, this was the miracle that your father and I saw, right? Learning from what his parents did and didn't do how they tried to make it happen in their own. Trust God. Trust God. (laughs) And so he seems to have learned at least that one lesson. And so the lesson for us is that dreaming with God must rely on him. From conception to fruition. From beginning to end, it has to rely on him. 
Because I think one sign that you're dreaming with God is that your dream requires prayer in order to be fulfilled. That's an indication to me that the prayer, uh, that the dream is something bigger than you. That, that if it requires relying on him, there's a good happen. It's, you know, you could read this passage and think, well, this is all just fate, right? A, you know, Isaac and his sons, they're just fated to certain things before they're even born. But actually, what you see is God had given these promises, but Isaac still had to pray. He had to contribute, participate in order for it to happen. And what you get is this relational picture that he had to persevere. He had to petition. He had to ask God. And I don't know if you noticed, he was 40 when they got married. He was 60 when they conceived. He was praying for 20 years for this. That's, That's persistence. Some of us have been praying for 20 and plus years for certain things that God's promised us. And so there's an encouraging side to that. But I mean, honestly, that's not what you want to hear, is it? That's not particularly exciting news that you might have to wait 20 years. We think, well, God promised it. I got that prophetic word last week. I believe it. I prayed for it. Okay, God. It's been, it's been a month now, <laughs> you know? And that's where Rebecca comes into the picture. So now Rebecca starts praying, all right? And finally, it's answered. She's pregnant. Yes. And then it says, the children struggled within her. So Jacob's problem is that they're not getting pregnant. Rebecca's problem is that she gets pregnant. (laughs) Their prayer of 20 years had finally been answered, finally comes around, and the result is struggle, pain, conflict. Fun times. And so now she prays, Lord, if this is the fulfillment of your promise, if this is the answer to the prayer, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? She literally says. You can probably think of moments in your life where you have thought that exact thought. It reminds me of something Tim Keller tweeted a number of years ago. Listen to this, right? Deep down, we cling to the simplistic idea that if we are good, life will go well. Untrue. Can I just read that one more time? Deep down, we cling to the simplistic idea that if we are good, life will go well. Untrue. We think if I pray, if I fast, if I read my Bible, things will go well. If I'm a good parent, my kids won't go astray. It's actually just not true. It's actually deep down a, a, a different gospel. It's, it's kind of a form, it's, it's a light form, it's a more insidious form of what you could call a prosperity gospel. Listen to what Jesus actually says. Th- this is what Jesus promises, all right? In this world, this is John 16, speaking to his disciples. In, 
this world, you will have trouble. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) That's not very positive, Jesus. But take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So here's my message to any of you who find yourself in that place right now. And if you're not there, you will one day. Just because you're experiencing inner conflict, just because you're going through some suffering or some struggling, it does not that you're off track. It doesn't mean that God's upset with you. It doesn't mean that God's not blessing you. Now, one caveat, if there's an obvious, unrepented sin in your life that you got to deal with, deal with it, okay? (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we seem to be doing everything right, when we seem to be obeying, and yet it leads right into difficulty, struggle, conflict. It does not mean that you're necessarily off course. Has it ever occurred to you that it might be the only way to get you to the dream that God has for you is through this particular conflict, struggle, suffering. It may just be. You know, the only way for God's dream of saving, of winning, of redeeming a whole people for himself, the only way to that dream was through the cross. And Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to drink this cup. Who would? And yet it was the only way to bring you and I into his family, into his dream. And so if we're following Jesus, if we're dreaming with God and walking with him, the only way to follow Jesus necessarily is a road that leads through the cross. And so, dreaming with God calls for us to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and persistent in prayer. Isaac prays, Rebecca prays, and the prophecy that she receives from God, again, is not a prophecy that you or I would want to receive. <laughs> right? If you got that, if you came up, the Lord tells her, you're bringing forth two sons, and there's going to be conflict, there's going to be suffering. But what he does for her, he, notice that in response to the prayer, he doesn't remove her from the circumstances. He doesn't remove her from the suffering. What he does is he gives her a word that solidifies the purpose that he has for her through those circumstances. And actually it gives her what she needs to sustain her through it, to actually be shaped through that suffering, through those circumstances. And so... Just speaking from experience, when you go out and do something bold, sacrificial for God, and you meet the inevitable resistance, you meet the inevitable disappointment and pain, and dis, you know, just the, the challenge, and you begin to wonder, like Rebecca, God, I'm doing everything you said, why am I going through this? The only thing that's sufficient to sustain you in that moment is a word from God. It's knowing that the Lord has spoken to you, that the Lord has given you purpose in this, 
It won't be fun. It won't make it easy, but it will give you what you need to be sustained. And so this is the encouragement that we can receive, I think, ultimately from this, that dreaming with God, despite suffering, despite challenge, despite conflict that we might meet in the midst of it, dreaming with God is leaving a legacy of eternal significance. And so I want to encourage you that if you... If you're in this season and, and you're, you, you, ha- you feel your heart stirring that, oh, I, I want to contribute, I want to be involved, I want to take responsibility for, for you know, activating these dreams, I want to father and mother and bring something forth into the world, I just want to encourage you in this season right now, begin looking back at the words that God's spoken to you. The things that he's spoken either in, in scripture, on to. Don't leave them on the shelf. Don't leave them in an old diary. Right now is the time to go back, turn those pages. Remind yourselves. Remind yourself of what the Lord has spoken to you. What has he promised you that you need to re-preach to your soul right now? To say, you know what, I'm facing this. I, this is really disappointing. This is hard. But God said this. So I've got what I need to carry on. And so I, I, I don't know where every one of us is at right now. Maybe you need to step up. Maybe the Lord is calling you to take on responsibility that he's inviting you into. Some of us are already walking it out. Some of us are, are already pressing on, but we need to turn back and remind ourselves of what God has promised, what God has spoken because that's going to sustain us through the challenges. So I'm going, to, I'm going to invite our musician and singer up. I, I do just want to end with a song, and I wonder if you'd stand with me. I just want to, I just want to pray over us over this, this message. Lord God, we pray that as we're in this moment of generational transfer, Lord, that you would cause us to redream the dreams of generations past. Lord, that as we do that, we would receive with gratitude, with joy, with celebration, what is handed down to us. Lord, that it would stir in us, just like we read in this story, that, it, that as we receive that, it would stir in us a new hunger, a new desire to pray, to seek you, to see those things fulfilled, Lord. They're not just going to happen. You've called us to participate in them. And we participate through prayer and through our actions. But Lord, it begins with prayer. Lord, that we'd learn in this moment to rely on you more than ever, to rely on your power and your presence. Lord, remind us. Turn us back to to promises, to words that have been spoken to us through your Holy Spirit and in in your written word, Lord, that we may have forgotten. Things that we need to preach once again to our own souls so that we can persevere, so that we can continue pressing on in your purposes, Lord. Lord, and I pray that you would allow us 
these, this, this Isaac generation, in a sense, Lord, to continue to consolidate everything that's been achieved, all the aspects of your dream that have come about, Lord, and God, that you would empower us and envision us to press forward into things that are yet to be done for your glory and our joy. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.